This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, I got a special guest on the podcast for you today. His name is Mike Ritland. Now, wait a minute. You might be thinking to yourself, Kyle, didn't you just have Mike on last week? I did. This is part two, you guys. I got you. I know he's one of your favorite people for me to talk to. So I wanted to bring you a part two. So, but for anybody that did not listen to the episode last week, not only should you go and listen to that episode, but now I'm going to have to give the intro again because you guys were lazy and just didn't listen to last week. So let me give his intro again. He is a retired Navy SEAL. He spent 12 years in the United States Navy. He's also a canine trainer and has been so for over 20 years. He also hosts the Mic Drop podcast, which I was fortunate enough to be on earlier this summer. And he's the founder of multiple businesses like Tricos International. That's a personal protection dog company, Team Dog Dog Training Programs, fueled by Team Dog Food and Treats. That's the food that I give my dog, Roman the Giant. That's why I love him so much because I give him the best food. And also the Warrior Dog Foundation, which helps to provide care for retired working canines. And in addition to all that, the guy somehow has time to write best-selling books. So he's the best-selling author of Team Dog, How to Train Your Dog, The Navy Seal Way, and Trident Canine Warrior, My Tale from the Training Ground to the Battlefield with Elite Navy Seal Canines. Now, guys, in the first interview, we spent a lot of time talking about, you know, why he went to the military, how he became a Navy SEAL. You know, we didn't waste a lot of time on how he was cold, wet, and sandy during Buds, because I think we all get that at this point, but why he was in the military, some of those stories, but also how he got into training canines and how he got into that whole world and why he's kept being in that world. But in this interview, I wanted to get a little bit more into his brain. And that has a lot to do with a new book that he wrote, which, you know, that's why we're releasing this on this day, because as of today, his new book is out. It's in the show notes. You can go check it out and grab it because he doesn't talk about the military really in his new book. He doesn't talk about canines. He's talking about America and he's talking about these foundational topics. And he's talking about a lot of really kind of incendiary topics, right? You know, and in this interview, we get into abortion. You know, we talk about, you know, equity versus equality and, you know, equality of of opportunity versus equality of outcome. And we get into a lot of that. But at the beginning of this episode, we talk a lot about his personal faith. And the reason why is because since I did the interview on his podcast earlier, earlier this summer, He's gotten a lot of negative comments from Christians that are like, oh, challenging his worldview. I've gotten a lot of negative comments only from Christians like, have you ever even heard of apologetics? Why didn't you say this when he said that? And, you know, pretending like it was a chess match, which at this point, it's a good thing to kind of tell you the day I did the interview on his podcast, I had just met him. And it's a three hour long conversation where we're talking about a lot of different things where there, there was nobody that was trying to set a goal for what should happen in that conversation, aside from the fact that we wanted it to be entertaining and, you know, intellectually stimulating for the audience, right? And so, and then there's other conversations that Mike and I have had that you are not privy to because it hasn't been on his show or on my show, which we'll keep personal because that's something about the development of a friendship and a relationship. But in the first 20 minutes, I mean, it's about an hour long conversation. The first 20 minutes or so we spend talking about his worldview and talking about, you know, the Christian worldview and the resurrection and those types of things. And I think you're going to be really interested in his answers because he's a very, very honest guy. That's why every time he comes on, I have to do, you know, major language warning. If you have sensitive ears around Mike talks the way he talks, and I'm not going to edit out anything that he says, I want y'all to hear it from, from the horse's mouth, how he thinks, right? Just because we have different worldviews doesn't mean I can't let him talk. But that's really the thing that when you see a conversation like this, it's a good example. Yes, I am patting myself about on the back a little bit here of how two people can vehemently disagree, vehemently disagree about core things, foundational things about who they are as a person. And yet no one's getting mad. 
No one's calling it someone else's name. You know, we're not trashing each other online or otherwise after the interview's over. I mean, he's not here for this introduction, right? This is after the conversation. So I'm not saying anything bad about the guy, but it's just a good example to you guys that in this divisive culture that we live in, that seems more divisive because of the news cycle, because of social media and all that, you can still get to a point where you can have a conversation with somebody that you disagree with and leave being buddies. Leave loving that person, leave, you know, valuing that friendship. So I just wanted to kind of throw that out there to you, but I think I've done enough to tee you up for this conversation by now. You're probably like, okay, Kyle, I get it. Let's go ahead and get to the conversation. So I'm not going to keep him from you any longer. So without further ado, let's get into it. Mike Ridland, we're making a habit of this, but welcome back to Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Well, it's a, it's an honor and a pleasure to be here. I appreciate it. And uh, I'll come back anytime you'll have me. Absolutely. Anytime you write a book or anytime you got something special, you have an audience here with us. Now, in the previous podcast that we did last week, you know, we did, you know, your military career and your dog training, and we talked about all that type of stuff. Now we're going to dig into a little bit more as to kind of what's going on in your brain, but also a new book that I'm excited to tell our audience about. But I'm going to pull a mic drop podcast on you, okay? I'm going to start the podcast with a bunch of random questions that you get just a few seconds to answer, okay? So you ready for some, you ready for me to mic drop you? Always. Okay, here we go. If you could only listen to one band's or one artist's music for the rest of your life, who would it be and why? Uh, probably Pantera. Um, I, I grew up listening to them, and I saw them live several times. And, uh, you know, there, there was just always something about that band that um, that I kind of connected with. And, and there were a lot of rough rough patches in, uh, in high school that I went through that, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of people – kind of connect with music that way. And, and I'm no exception is that there, there was just uh, a, a lot of listening to uh, those, those albums that they made. And I uh, just, uh, man, I just love their music. You know, it, uh, I, I think it's different than the type of music that's just hard for the sake of being hard and heavy and fast and, and angry or whatever. Uh, you know, they have kind of a, a bluesy groove, uh, which their, you know, lead guitarist was actually from here in Dallas. Uh, as well as well as the drummer they were brothers but um <clears throat> there was a lot of blues influence with uh, with a lot of their riffs and stuff and so there's kind of a, a heavy groove to it where it's not all super fast and uh, i just yeah, i just love it yeah r.i.p dime bag i got a quick story i was seeing metallica for the first time in tulsa a few years ago and before the show was starting they're playing music just like in the background so there was some slayer and there was some some you know this band or that band Led zeppelin the crowd basically didn't respond to any of those bands, but the moment Pantera came on, yeah. the entire crowd before the concert we, was singing. And so even I think Jim Brewer was the opener. He's like, okay, I guess we got a, a Southern rock because yeah. they're kind of like Southern rock metal thing. I kind of, I totally get the blues thing, but all right, next question here. What is the perfect home defense firearm? Uh 12 gauge shotgun for sure. Uh, you know, to me for, and I'll, I'll, I'll quantify that or, or, expound on that with with nine shot uh, is, is what I would use don't use slugs or you know double out buck or whatever is that um, you know the the beauty of nine shot and this is backed up actually by FBI statistics from a uh, from a ballistic standpoint is the most proficient round for neutralizing a threat that way the beauty of it also is that you know it's not going to go through uh, your walls and, and kill your kids or uh, you know into the neighbor's house the way slugs or, or you know, double or triple out buck will. So, um, you know, you don't have to be deadly accurate. Um, the sound of it chambering around is, is pretty, uh, pretty effective in and of itself. Uh, it's easy to shoot, uh, especially if you stick with the two and three quarter inch shells, don't, don't go three and a half. 
Um, you know, you can put two hands on it. Uh, you know, females or slight, slighter built individuals mm-hmm. can shoot it. No problem. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's a, a tried and true firearm for that. No, no question about it. All right. I got a shotgun story, but I'll tell you off air. Sorry guys. You can't even pay to have the rights to that story. I'll tell them later, but last one here, last random mic drop question. If you were forced to live in another country, which I know that's what it would take. Okay. But if you were forced to live in another country for the rest of your life, but you were able to choose that country, where would you move to and why? Uh, Norway. Uh, for me, the, just half of my family, the, the Ritland side is, is from there. And, uh, and it's just, you know, that type of terrain uh, just it is really what uh, is probably my favorite uh, terrain to, to live in, to be in. And, and I just feel the most uh, at home in, in those types of environments. So uh, I like cold, shitty weather and, uh, and I like, uh, you know, big, big, uh, monstrous landscapes that, uh, that kind of humble you that way. So, uh, yeah, for sure it'd be, it'd be Norway or, you know, if, if you want to even consider it a region, just the scandinavian countries i mean finland denmark and, and sweden are also certainly uh, up there too but i think if i had to pick between the four of them it'd be it'd probably be norway hey about a year ago i would have said new zealand or australia but after seeing what's going on down there i don't really know that i want to be a part of that but let's kind of dive in a little bit more because this is something that i've thought about and you and i've talked about off air um Whenever I came down and I was on your podcast, obviously we spent a lot of time talking about God, talking about faith, talking about things therein, and then we kind of flowed in, in every which direction. And I told you this before, and I think I've mentioned it on my show, the only people that were mad at me about that conversation were other Christians, because I think they were expecting me to like drop some sort of like you know, big gospel bomb on you and that you were going to have this big crying, uh, you know, transformation experience in that moment, which those things happen. But, you know, you and I were just a couple of guys having a conversation with microphones in front of our face. But there were some people that, you know, follow me and follow you that weren't exactly sure where you would put your mark on the board in terms of where you land on your personal faith. And so I want to kind of, you know, dig down on that a little bit before we get into the new book. But for you personally, if someone says, Hey, what are you categorically? Are you an atheist? Are you an agnostic? Are you, I don't really care. Like, where would you put yourself? So, I mean, I view it kind of similar to to politics that way. And that that I think that's one of the problems is trying to to drum up a label or a, a box to put yourself or anyone in is that, I don't, I don't think that way, uh, you know, whether you want to call it linearly or, or what have you, I don't really consider myself in a, a political party either. I mean, there's, there's things that I'm liberal about. There's more things that I'm conservative about, but there's a lot of things that I'm libertarian about also. Uh, I wouldn't consider myself any one of those three down the line. So, um, you know, and I view faith kind of that same way. I mean, I, I know we talked about you know, me growing up uh, pretty staunch Lutheran and going through the three-year confirmation process. And, um, you know, I, I was pretty, pretty into it all of my childhood and uh, high school and then and really heavy into it the first couple of years I was in the Navy until I went overseas. And that's really what changed my, my perspective to, to just be more open-minded towards everything, including the, the prospect of maybe it's all bullshit. Uh, I'm not saying it is, uh, but, but just open to the fact that uh, you know, that, that there are, are so many uh, different, you know, c- categories or groups of people on, on the planet that are really, really hard line, <clears throat> uh, very specific to a, a certain mm-hmm. specific faith, um, you know, and, and they're all equally convinced that they're 100% accurate and, and correct and right and whatever. And obviously, you can't all be, <laughs> you know, so 
Um, so, you know, that in and of itself, I think, you know, kind of changes the paradigm or the, uh, you know, the lens with which I view faith. So circling back to your question, uh, fuck, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it's legitimate or not. There's, there are times where I think, yeah, that makes sense. That something will happen where it seems, you know, more than a coincidence. There's other times where it completely rattles any prospect of, of having faith in any type of higher organized being or, or spirit, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think ultimately if you, you know, waterboard me and say, pick something, um, <laughs> you know, I, I would say, I, I do think that there is something else to our existence. I just, I, I don't have any idea what that is. And, and I'm not convinced enough, uh, you know, to, to hook line and sinker say that this is what I, I believe a hundred percent. I just don't know, you know, and, uh, you said you don't know uh, several times, and this is an, an important delineating question that I've asked a lot of people, and I, and I love the different answers I get, but do you, because I struggle with this question as well, do you think it's knowable? Because there are certain things that aren't exactly knowable because the evidence literally does not exist. It's it's not something that we can surmise. Do you feel like it's something that you can know? Uh, I think it's a little bit in the eye of the beholder that way. I think the human brain is is complicated enough. Um, you know, to where if you just separate us from all other animals, um, you know, the things that we have the ability to do, look inside our own minds, look inside other animals' minds, view the universe, you know, unlike any other, other animal can even possibly comprehend, um, you know, that there's so many facets to our existence that to answer your question, no, I, I don't think that it is because, the, the the way that people's perspectives are shaped by their genetics, their experience, their environment, nutrition, um, you know, the, the way that they develop, I mean, all, all these things, I think, um, you know, are so vast and, and varied, uh, you know, from human being to human being that, that it's really, from my perspective, impossible to say, yes, I know that this is a fact and, and I can prove it here. Uh, I, I just don't see that as, as being uh you know, doable or accurate. Okay. This is kind of the last question in this vein, or I, I think it will be, but I know we have other things we need to get to. Um, something that I feel like a lot of people and this may have happened with you. I feel like religion, you know, using air quotes here kind of poisons the well for a lot of people because yeah. it's like, you know, you, you try to do the right things according to the religion. You, you open up whatever that religion's rule book is and you try to check all the boxes and it's impossible to do. And then you feel guilty or then you, you see something bad happen and you're like, how does that coalesce or, or jive with what I'm reading here? Do you feel like that and you can use it as a you thing or just kind of a macro thing. Do you feel like just the the advent of religious behavior and religious rules that may or may not be tied to some sort of a moral law? Do you feel like that really makes it harder for people to come to a place where they can be down with, you know, believing in these things or not? For sure it does. I think that that's part of it. And I'll, I'll talk to the, the other big part of it, I think, or at least from my experience. I think human nature, you know, anybody who's ever been a parent to teenagers can tell you that uh, fuck the system uh, is inherently ingrained in our human DNA that way, is that we like to push back on things, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and, you know, sometimes there, there is an element of human nature that, that just exists that's, if you want me to do this, I'm, I'm not going to do it because you want me to do it. Right. And, and that's just part of who, who we are. I mean, it's it's consistent across all uh, age groups and and cultures and societies uh, specifically in that, you know, as you enter into adulthood, you know, type of timeframe. But uh, ironically, I was more conformed, you know, once I became an adult, 
until I was about 35, uh, early 30s maybe. Uh, and then I've kind of come full circle where now I'm, I'm at least as much a, of that way as I was when I was a teenager as I get older and more bitter, bitter and cynical. But uh, the other part of it, I think, and this is, again, just from my ex- experience, uh, but I also see it in, in other people. Um, and, and it seems fairly consistent with a lot of religious groups. And this isn't just Christianity. This is all of them. Uh, and I would even, I'll go ahead and, and say pick on uh, the Islamic faith even more that way mm-hmm. is that, you know, the adage of you catch more flies with honey than, than you do vinegar, I think is really, really apt when it comes to, to most things in life, but, mm-hmm. but especially religion is that, and we'll use, uh, you know, our episode when you came on my show as an example is that there weren't a lot of comments, but there were a few, and I don't know if they were, you know, uh, long listeners of mine or ones that crossed over from you or, or what, but they were, they were very uh, talking down to me on certain things that I looked at, you know, like, and I don't even remember what, what the specific, uh, you know, comment was or, or whatever comment that I made that, that somebody was like, really, that's how you're going to, you know, look at it or whatever. And it's like, if you want me to, to, you know, view whatever it is that you're trying to sell in a positive manner, like calling me a dipshit for having certain <laughs> viewpoints uh, is a hundred percent the wrong way to go about that for me. And for most people, you know, like, and I think that's where, you know, it's kind of like independent independence politically mm-hmm. is that they feel like Democrats attack them for, you know, not wanting everything in their camp and Republicans do the same fucking thing. And they kind of feel, you know, they're not quite sure, you know, and they've got both sides basically motherfucking them for what they think. Uh, and then trying to get them to come to their side. And that's unfortunately, I mean, I hate to use that analogy, but that's what it feels like, uh, you know, with a lot of religious sects um, is, is that they try to uh, almost belittle you into, uh, you know, mm-hmm. coming, coming on to the, their, their side or their team uh, to believe what they believe, you know, and it's like, uh, so that that's part of it. Um, and, and within that, taking it kind of a step further, it's the, it's the almost fire and brimstone. Like if you don't believe this, you will spend eternity in hell and you're going to fucking fry for that. Like I'll tell you right now, like you, you coming at me like that is, is going to push me so far away that you're, you're not even, I'm not even going to listen to you, you know? Um, mm. and, and so it's like, there, there's a minding your own business component, uh, for me, that's an important part of my life that, uh, you know, that, that I find is, is a huge turnoff with a lot of religious folks. Um, you know, so that, that's been my experience with it. Well, all those negative comments came from my burner accounts. If you were wondering uh, oh, where no. all those came from, yeah. no, no, but, but that's the kind of thing is I agree with you. Like uh, the vinegar thing, even within the church, like there's people that, you know, maybe they're reformed Baptists, or maybe there are these people that they have these very specific things that they, they will not, you know, go left or right on. It's this or it's nothing. And they'll even go after people on their own side. But this is the kind of the last comment I would say on this, because this is something I, I wish I would have said on our conversation earlier this summer is we have to all figure out for ourselves what are the what are the potentialities for the results of my decisions, right? And so let's look at it this way. So let's say you considered yourself to be a strict materialist atheist, which you have not said, but let's just kind of put you in that camp. And then I'm, you know, a a Christian, a Bible believing Christian. I believe that Jesus rose on the third day, was resurrected, you know, to pay for our sins, all all those different things, was crucified and then resurrected, all that. If you're right and I'm wrong. When we get to the end of our lives, we're both worm food. Now, yeah. along the way, I will have wasted a lot more time and money 
on, you know, dealing with going to church and giving money here and feeling like I got to do this and checking all the boxes. Right. But we both end up in the same place. We're both worm food. You know, the lights just went off and that's it. But if you're wrong and you spend your entire life doing your thing and I spend my entire life doing my thing there, the reality from what we are told is that you spend eternity, eternity separated from God right? You spend eternity in hell, those types of things. So that's why I encourage a guy like you and you and I've had conversations off air, which are, are not you know pertinent to my audience here that we'll keep private, that I would continue to encourage you to look at those questions. And I, I would almost say, don't even worry about the does God exist question first. I would always focus on the resurrection because yeah. if the resurrection happened, if that's a real thing that we can know, and there's evidence to suggest that that happened, then that opens up a lot of other cans of worms. You don't have to worry about dinosaurs yet. You don't have to worry about, can we get two of every animal on a single boat? You don't have to worry about any of that. Deal with the resurrection because that's that's the key to the acceptance of the gospel. Not these macro ideas of, about all these different particular things about how one word in the Greek was translated versus the Hebrew or Aramaic. So is that kind of a fair way to kind of leave that? Is that a fair way to think about it? No, I, I think it is. Um, you know, for me, I, I, where I struggle with the, the, the convincing aspect in any regard is is that, you know, and, and I get the, the witnessing uh, aspect of, mm-hmm. of religion, but I, I don't understand why it's there. Um, you know, in, in that, you know, to, to be blunt, it's like, why do you give a fuck what I think? You know, I mean, I mean, ultimately, like yeah. you, you or anybody else, like, why do you care if I believe in God or not? Yeah, my, my answer to that is and it's, it's a pretty straightforward answer is because I believe that every single human being is made with the image of God implanted on them. That's called the Imago Dei, right? Like we see that in the very first part of Genesis. And so because I see you as a brother, I also see you as a potential brother in Christ. And so I guess the, the, the way of saying is like, whether it's you or whether it's a a family member of mine that I would talk to about something like this, it's like, I want you to have salvation. I want you to have eternal life. I want you to have those things. And so you can think whatever you want. And I don't want you just to become a carbon copy of me. Who's a carbon copy of somebody else. Like that's, that's not valuable. I want you, Mike Ritland with your way of thinking and your way of, of operating in life to accept that as a truth. And I will continue to say what what the truth is to you and whether you accept it or not is not, not up to me. And I can't carry that burden. That's not my cross to bear, as people would say it. But that's why I would say that I care is because I have love for you as a brother, as a friend, as I would for even a stranger would be the way that I would put it. So so I, I appreciate you saying that. And I think uh, that's a, a really good way to put it. And and my advice to, to most people in, in your camp would be to, to take that frame of mind as opposed to the judginess mm-hmm. and the and the Amway pyramid scheme esque <laughs> feel that, yeah. you, that you typically get from people. You know, it, it's the pushy, judgy, like th- those things just so severely pollute the original intended message that most people aren't even willing to listen to it because they feel like it's a door to door salesman or somebody is looking at them like they're inferior. You know, right. and that's. That's one of the things, you know, again, that, that I probably struggle the most with is, is that when I feel judged from somebody else who's fucked up just as much as I have or more or worse, uh, yeah. you know, it's like, who the fuck are you to, to tell me I'm, I'm screwed up? Like, I don't, right. I don't need your shit about anything, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that. And, and, uh, you know, like I said, I think it's a great way to put it and, and for sure, uh, brings my, my level of, of kind of guard down by by hearing if, if that's legitimately like all i'm right 
you know, paraphrasing from, from your standpoint, all you're worried about is, you know, Hey, I care about you and, and I want you to be in, in the same position to at least be able to, to accept that, you know, that that's admirable. And I can certainly respect that. So. Well, it's posture versus posturing. Posturing is look how righteous I am. Don't you want to be righteous like me? That's posturing. But yeah. the posture of someone's heart in, in like the moment that I would be is like, I know how depraved I am. No one else, including my wife, including my parents, knows the level of depravity that I carry within me. Only God and another entity outside of me understands that level of depravity. So I know when I'm talking to somebody that's worse than me. For those of you listening to this, I use major air quotes, right? They've done worse things. They've acted in worse ways. They've said worse things. They believed worse things. I realize that we're all on the same level playing field because people, they look at sin like it's a bottle. Right. So it's like, oh, you murdered somebody. A ton of sin goes in the bottle. Oh, you said a lie. Oh, a little bit of sin goes in the bottle. And when you look at it from the side, we can all judge people by the level of sin they have. I say, look at it from the top, right? When you look down on the top of a bottle, you can't tell how much water is in there. You can't tell how much sin is in there. So it's like binary. Are you a sinner? Are you a bad person or are you perfect? That's the only binary. And so I think that really gets in a lot of people's way is because they look at someone's disheveled appearance or they look at their their background and they think, oh, you know, a good loving Jesus could not possibly love that person. But you don't get that from the New Testament. When you dig into the New Testament, he spent a lot of time around people that were disheveled and horrible and immoral and all that. And his words were like, it's not the the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. And so yeah. whenever all of us can look at ourselves on the sick side of that spectrum, I think it's going to go a lot better. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And the last thing I'll, I'll bring up in terms of the some of the heartburn is that there seems to be a parallel, again, with politics and religion from kind of a virtue yes. signaling standpoint. Is that, you know, a, a lot of uh, and, and again, this isn't just Christians. I mean, I've, I've met plenty of Muslims and, and Buddhists and, and everything else, um, you know, that fall into that same category of, of wanting to make sure that, that you see me doing what I'm doing. So, you know, that I'm a good fill in the blank. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and, and also, I'm going to go ahead and highlight what you're doing, you know, wrong so that you know that, that you've got some work to do, you know. And, uh, and, and you know, like I said, just, you know, when, when that's people's exposure to uh you know to faith and it's it, it's hard to hard to wrap your arms around that and, and say yeah this is for me i agree well let's go from a very happy and loving topic to we're going to dig down into the declining of our country right so let's let's pep things up just a little bit so uh you've got a new book that comes out guys if you're listening to this on time the book comes out today and in this book you go into a lot of detail on the subject of kind of the decline of our country and where that's kind of coming from, where some of our foundations are crumbling. And it's not like any other book that you've written so far, right? So you you focus a lot on the dogs and on your military career. That's not what this book is at all. You're going at some of the core things that we believe as a people and as a country. So how about you just generically, because we don't have all the time in the world, tell us what this book is about and why you decide to write it now. And, and as I understand, you're going the self-publishing route. So kind of where did this book all come to be and how are you getting into us? Sure. So, you know, in the last three and a half years of, of uh, doing the mic drop show, uh, you know, I've, I've had the, the pleasure of having a lot of really interesting guests on that many of whom have had, you know, decades of experience in certain, um, you know, elements of our society that, that are reflected in this book. And, and, um, when I, when I kind of tried to wrap my mind around all of the different viewpoints and kind of no bullshit real world stats that I got from these folks, coupled with what you hear in the media, they, they didn't jive. 
you know, and, and so if you if you watch Fox, CNN, MSNBC, you know, any mainstream media outlet for a, a couple of hours, just pick a day, you would think that the, the things that plague our country are, are very specific. When you look at the actual data, they don't they don't match up. Right. So we're, we're being fed all of these, uh, you know, kind of hidden agendas or or political and, and uh, you know, even economical agendas to, to feed certain big businesses and, and lobbyists and what have you. Uh, and it pissed me off uh, is that, you know, you're, we're being force fed certain things that, you know, this is what you should be worried about. This is, you know, just constantly being jammed down our throat of, of here, here are the problems that plague our society. But then you look at, you know, the top 10, 10 things that people die from or that that are the, the biggest negative net impacts on our society. And that's not really what's being talked about. Um, you know, and so I, I noticed in talking with a lot of these people that, um, you know, I came into the conversation with the, the things that I think are, are, uh, really, really crucial to be able to, to hear somebody, to listen, to understand, to drop your politics, religion, and, and uh, emotion at the door when you go into it coupled with the prospect that you might actually be wrong. Um, you know, and that's how you need to enter into these conversations when you're, you're trying to figure these problems out and, and, you know, seeing how emotionally charged people are on social media and, and just in the regular media, uh, you know, it, it turns into where we're making a lot of decisions for this country based on, on emotion, you know, and, and, uh, you know, nothing, uh, will pollute your ability to make a good sound decision than, uh, having it influenced heavily by emotion, uh, you know, and, and so for me, it was important to to kind of strip away all of the the BS and uh, and really get down to like the the root causes of all of the things that are making our nation turn into what it's being turned into from a uh, from a societal and, and cultural standpoint, and so uh, that was the biggest driver. Now. I also was not naive to the fact that, you know, having kind of a 30,000 foot view uh, approach to something like that can be daunting, right? Throw in a little plug for, uh, <laughs> you know, for undaunted, right? Boom. Is that you, you don't want it to be daunting for people mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, to, to look at something and think, well, how the fuck am I going to do anything about it? You're talking about, th you know, things that cost millions or billions of dollars or, you know, millions of people are affected by X, like how, is me Joe Schmo in, in my you know suburban house going to do anything about any of that? Uh, you know, and and that's a, a very real problem I think for for most people is that they they just feel kind of uh, you know underwater that way. And, and so I wanted to say here here are the, the the big problems. Here's why they're the way they are. Here's what we can do as a country to fix it. And here's what you can do as an individual to do your part to uh, you know to to help solve that uh, that specific issue. So. Um, that was really the driver. Now, uh, I was approached by uh, one of the, the publishers that I've worked with in the past to do a book uh, similar to this. Hmm. Uh, and so I'll be the first to admit I, I was influenced uh, with the initial thought of thinking, you know, okay, if, if, if they're asking about doing a book like this, there's probably a good reason to do it. Um, you know, and, and in the interest of, of saying, you know, hey, instead of giving them the creative control. And, and when I put all this time and effort into uh, pitching something like this, especially when it's as politically charged as it is, I don't want, 
uh, you know, a, a media outlet deciding, oh, we don't want this in there. No, we're cutting this chapter out. No, this is too inflammatory. Oh, we don't like the way that sounds like you can't have that. with. I mean, you shouldn't have that really with any book, but especially a book like this where there's a lot of very divisive things talked about, uh, you know, that people are really, really emotionally charged over. So, um, you know, all those things combined is, is, uh, is where, where it came from. Yeah. You don't, uh, you don't really leave anything on the table in terms of a topic that's going to get people's, you know, blood, (laughs) blood pressure boiling or something like that. And you kind of split the book up into two parts. The first part, you kind of go into just macro subject matters that that you're discussing in the book. And guys, you're going to have to go get a copy of the book. Obviously it's going to be in the show notes. We can't get into all the details here, but then the second half of the book, you go into more specific type things. But from the first half of the book, I want to really highlight something that you talked about in chapter three, and you mentioned it a little bit earlier in our conversation, but chapter three is called escaping the echo chamber. And so escaping the echo chamber, I want to read this quote here, quote, Despite what anyone says, most people don't actually want to have their viewpoints challenged, their perspectives changed, or their beliefs called into question. They don't actually want to be presented with compelling truths on two sides of an issue and have to think for themselves. They just want to feel like they are in the know and on the right side, the winning side, the side that makes sense, unquote. So obviously I feel like I intuitively know why that is, but I feel like that is a through point for the other points that you make in the first section of the book, because you're talking about, you know, our problem with the victimization culture that we live in. And people don't want to hear how being a victim is a bad thing. We talk about how a lot of people just kind of act like a spoiled American brat. They've got all these things. Life is so good. And yet they're still stressed out all the time. Like the the kids were, yeah, I love to quote, I think you said you're churning out too many 18 year old infants, right? Like as a country, we're doing that. We're worshiping at the altar of these idiots that don't know anything about the subject they're talking about, whether it's LeBron, James or some other random celebrity, but I feel like it all kind of comes back to the escaping the echo chamber part. We want the people on our side to, to hear the virtuous things we're saying, like you were saying earlier. Do you feel like that is kind of the hinge point for a lot of the issues we're seeing? A hundred percent it is. I mean, raise your hand if you like to be wrong. Yeah, nobody. No, nobody likes to be wrong, right? Um, especially when it's something that you're passionate about, you know, so, something that, that you, you feel very, very strongly about. I mean, on your side, you can, you can take abortion, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, on, on anybody's side, you can, you can pick, you know, a couple of things that they are really, really passionate about that it's like, not only does the prospect not exist in their mind, that they could be wrong, uh, but they're, they're scared to death of being wrong. Uh, especially if it's, a, if it's a belief that you've uh, fought hard for or held on to for a long time, or, uh, or again, just feel really, really passionate about it's hard to let that go. Uh, it's really hard to, to enter into a conversation when you're adamant about something. Uh, take a, a disagreement with your spouse, mm. right? Is that enter into that that disagreement with the prospect? You know, she may be right. I could be totally fucking like it's it's hard to put yourself in that frame of mind, but it's crucial because the reality of it is is that no matter who you are, no matter what the subject of conversation is, that is the case. You might be wrong. Now you very well may be right. Also. Uh, but but the prospect has to at least be possible in your mind that you are wrong, and so um, when you when you drop that, um, you know, and and simmer down the emotion, because again, I mean, pick pick any instance in your life where you were really really emotionally charged and you decided on something. How often is, is it right? How, you know, how often is whatever decision you made in, in that moment right? You run into a, that a lot in business and, and in professional life where something pisses you off and you want to respond right now because you're pissed and you want to, you want to get back at somebody or be vengeful or prove a point or, or be stubborn or whatever. And, and that's, that's never the right way to go about it. 
you know, you want to be calculated and, and very strategic uh, and very emotionally stable, uh, you know, when you're making these decisions. And so um, that that is essentially kind of the, the backbone or the benchmark principle of how you have to enter into every, um, you know, thought process with any of these issues. And so, um, you know, I, I the, the reason why I, I kind of preempt each chapter with the same little mm. kind of mantra of you need to, you know, remove these things and enter into this, uh, you know, topic with, with this mindset is because it is, it is important for every single one of them. <clears throat> when I think for a lot of people, if you just use this, I don't know if it's an adage or it's just generational wisdom, but the first person to raise their voice is probably the one that's wrong. I yeah. feel like that's, that's true. Like if you're debating who's the greatest basketball player ever versus Michael Jordan or, or LeBron James, or you're debating some actual real topic that has lives at stake. I think that's a really good place to start because if you start with yelling, that's what I've, I've told people. It's like, Hey, if you're going to go to your school board uh, because of, you know, critical race theory or the pornographic books that are in your, you know, five-year-old's classroom and all that. And you start when your time starts, you start yelling into the microphone. Everybody can very, very easily tune that person out. Right. Yeah. Because you're not making points. You're just yelling at me. But yeah. I mean, you brought up abortion. So I guess since you brought it up, I guess we're going to have to talk about it, Mike, because but there are some other subjects. We're not going to hang our hat completely on that. But you did something in your book that I feel like is a very fair thing. And that's when people get a, get a little bit not not really offended, but they get a little bit suspect when people are talking about the abortion subject and they're only using religious language, right? They're only using Judeo-Christian morality or they're only using the Bible or all that type of thing. So the, the way that I would like to approach the conversation about abortion is like, even though we can't really take the Judeo-Christian framework of morality off the, off the table, for our conversation, since we only have a little bit longer, we're just going to take that completely off the table because I think that I can show you without any religious jargon or language that a pro-choice mindset is a problematic one and also potentially an indefensible one. But we we can't go at the entire subject of abortion, but I just want to look at two things that you brought up that you talked about a lot in your abortion section, which I thought was fair. You talk about when life begins and her body, her choice. That Those are the main things that you kind of focus on. So on the when life begins part, you know, from your book, you say things like there's a point at which life begins. Right. And I would say that that's obviously correct. You also have a quote said, I believe that line is determined by nature. Now you can kind of, you know, mince words with that, but I would say generally that's also a correct statement. But then you also say this, you say that science says that when a fetus is ready to live, thrive and function on its own, it's a human life with rights that should be protected. And that's where I would say that that is an incorrect statement. So I'll kind of play through this because I want to get your thoughts on it. So there's a doctor named Jerome Lejeune this is not a guy that I knew about until a few months ago, but he's a world-renowned scientist and physician. He's called the father of modern genetics. So this is like kind of his area. He had this quote that I found really, really incredible. And it's this, the fact that after fertilization has taken place, a new human has come into being is no longer a matter of taste or opinion. It's plain experimental evidence. And just so you don't know that I'm cherry picking a quote from a guy that's obviously a theist, there was actually a University of Chicago study done just a few years ago, back in 2018, by a guy named Dr. Stephen Jacobs. And they polled biologists from all over the map, right? So these are people that this is their world. They found that 95% of practicing biologists affirm that life begins at fertilization. So in inside this group of people, there were super majorities of people that consider themselves to be, they self-identify as pro-choice or liberal, right? So these aren't just, you know, religious Catholic zealots or something like that. So in light of that information, just using science alone, would you agree that at the moment the sperm cell fertilizes the egg cell and creates that, you know, one-celled zygote, that a new human life has been formed? 
Yeah, so, so for me, the you know, I hate I hate to say the same thing as I don't know. Okay, uh, you, you know, like to me, there there's so many things at play here. Uh, you know, what what I mean, if every scientist on the planet says this is what I think, hey, I, I respect the fact that you're a wizard in in your uh, line of work and in your your you know a learned uh, professional. My take is though is that you know is it when there's a heartbeat? Maybe is it when you can determine what which biological sex uh, you know the the individual is. Maybe uh, when it's you know life can be sustained uh, on its own. Maybe I, fuck I don't know. Um, you know I, I can see um, saying yeah it makes sense that it starts here. It makes sense that it starts here. It doesn't make sense that it starts here in a lot of different ways. Um, and, you know and so for me where I separate all of that from, from just the simple fact that, you know, as a human being, if you're bringing another human being into this life, this is just my, my opinion, irrespective of when it starts, you should get to determine whether or not you, you go through with that. I, I, that's just how I think, you know, now, like even the prospect of saying, okay, uh, in the third trimester, should that be illegal? Like the day before a child is born, should somebody be able to do that? Like there's nothing about that that I think is, is good or fair or cool or enjoyable or even bordering on fucking legal. But I, I still think that in a society where the onus on the parent, right, is, is that you're, you're in charge of, of doing that and you have the ability to bring that child into the world or not, it should be up to you to decide whether or not you go all the way through with that. Now, I know people say, well, you can just give it up for adoption. Yeah, I, I, I get that. But still, if you're making people do certain things, I, I just, I'm just not okay with that. I think you still need to give people the choice to do what they want to do. That, that's just how I feel about it. Sure. We're, yeah, we're, we're bleeding into the her body, her choice part, which we'll get to here in just a second. But just kind of come back to even the initial point, because I, I think you brought up some fair points there. The, the fetus that's growing inside, whether you want to call it a baby, a fetus, I mean, uh, fetus is just Latin for offspring. So, you know, it's it, call it whatever you want. But the, the entity that's growing inside of the woman's body, to say that it's not alive would be, it's not a matter of opinion. It's actually a matter of fact, because it is yeah. growing. That cell division is taking place, metabolism is taking place, the unborn child is processing yeah. nutrition, the organs are there. Those things don't happen in a non-living entity. This pen is not doing that. This microphone is yeah. not doing that. And so that is not as as much a, a matter of opinion in terms of when life begins. I think yeah. what a lot of people get get they get sideways on is when is it a human being, right? You know, it's being that becomes the question, not that it's alive or not, because again, it's a, it's a living human, right? Cause it's not going to come out a ficus or come out an iPhone. It's going to come out as a, as a, a, you know, hopefully a live human being. So that's kind of the point that I wanted to go through here, but let, let's go ahead and get into the kind of the, her body, her choice argument, because that's mainly where you were, what you were kind of talking about. Well, so yeah. you're, go ahead, go ahead. Just real quick is that, yeah, even if I was to say, you know, yeah, I, I do agree with you that life begins the, the instant conception takes place. Like even if I say, yeah, that, that's what I think, I still think that as a parent, you ought to be able to, to have the, the ability to choose to, to go through with it or not. That, that's just, yeah, and that's, I know that's what you're about to get into, but right. just, just to clarify for anybody, it's like, he doesn't even know what he, what he thinks. <laughs> Agreed. I don't like there's times where I think, yeah, it makes sense that it's that it's here or there or, you know, like, fuck, I don't know. 
um, you know, but, but ultimately, uh, into the next point, yeah, I, I still think you should be able to do, uh, do what you want. But, well, Mike, it's something you mentioned earlier. It's like, you can't be outraged about everything equally, right? So, I mean, look at any time elections come up, it's like, okay, here are the hundred things that you could be concerned about. You can't yeah. be concerned about them all equally. So you obviously are a little bit more concerned about the, her body, her choice side, as opposed to the, when does life begin side. So in your book, you say when a fetus is still in utero, it's part of the woman's body. I'm going to say our, our child, our choice, not her body, her choice. Okay. You, you do go into that in the book, which, which most people don't, which I thought was interesting because it's like, you know, what about the dad? Does the dad not get yeah, a say here? Yeah. So yeah. yeah he's an afterthought and I think that's bullshit. Sure. So, so we'll, we'll get further into that and we'll just assume that is the paradigm. So you say when the fetus is still in utero, it's part of the woman's body. That is technically incorrect. Also, you say science says that when a fetus is ready to live, this is a quote from earlier and function on its own, it's a human life with rights that should be protected before that moment. A fetus is an extension of the woman's body which is a statement that I would also push you and say that that's incorrect. And so as we've established a little bit earlier that, you know, what's inside the womb, it's a separate human body that's inside the body of the woman. So you, you probably heard this. I think I even, may have even said this on your show, the old adage of, you know, my right to swing my fist ends where your nose begins, right? Well, mm -hmm. the, that still applies to the living human that's inside the womb. Your right to choose what to do with your body or our bodies ends where a living human in the womb's body begins. And this is why, this is why it's so important. The abortion process, the abortion procedure does not happen to the woman. It happens to the living human that's in her womb. You know, well, the, the abortion impacts her body secondarily, not primarily. Like the, the woman, the woman's body is just the setting for the abortion because the heart that stopped during the abortion is not the mother's. The limbs that are ripped off are not the mother's. The brain is not the mother's that stopped. The only dead entity at the end of an abortion typically is the baby inside the womb, not, not the mother. And so, because you say, you know, you should be free to live your life as you wish. So as long as it doesn't affect or harm anybody, but in this particular instance, in, in light of your own words, would you agree that what is growing inside the woman's body is a separate living human being that's worthy of being protected? No, no I wouldn't. And here's why is that I, I know you just said that, that it's fact, right? That, uh, that the baby inside of a child is its own thing. It's not an extension. Where, where are you getting or how are, how are you saying that that's a fact? So it's a separate living entity. It has its own DNA, it has its own organs. It's processing its own, uh, it's, its own fluid. Like the heart is beating on its own. The brain waves are moving on its own. Now you can say that it's receiving nutrients from the mother, which is obviously a fact of nature. The same would be true on a baby that is geographically located outside the womb after birth, whether they're, you know, a day old outside the womb or my son, who's a year and a half old, that baby that's is not viable. If we leave our house today and don't ever come back, the baby dies. Right. So that's what I'm saying. It's, it's biologically speaking, not religiously speaking, a separate human life. It's not an extension of the mother's life. It is a separate life entirely. Its own DNA, its own structure. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess where, where I would, uh, just disagree with that, you know, uh, is, is again, is that, without the support structure of, of the mother being able to, to do all of that, uh, that's just not the case. I mean, minus or, or sans organs, you could say the same thing about a cancerous tumor. You know, it, it, its ability to thrive is because it's embedded into a human being. When you remove that, it, it doesn't have the ability to survive or thrive and it dies. You know, that, that doesn't make it, it its its own entity from, from my standpoint. And I, and I just feel that same way about a child now or, or an embryo or, or at whatever stage 
um, you know, that, that fetus is inside the mother is that until it can sustain life, um, you know, on its own outside of the womb, I don't view it that way. That's just my viewpoint on it. Okay. Uh, I mean, we can, we can agree to disagree or, you know, you can say, well, it, it wouldn't survive, uh, you know, without, you know, a two, a two year old wouldn't survive. Fuck a five year old wouldn't survive in a lot of cases. Uh, I know 17 year olds that wouldn't survive <laughs> if their parents left them for a week. Right. Uh, you know, um, so, you know, and I, and I say that half jokingly, but, but I do that. That's just, that is how I view it. And, and I think, you know, where, where there's, there's always going to be that, that area where we agree to disagree is, is because I'm not attaching it to any religious aspect whatsoever. While, while I, I think this is just how I view it is, is that, and, and I respect the fact that you're a man of faith. I, I really do. Um, is that I, I think that because faith being what it is, is that it's it's impossible to separate yourself from it entirely, right? You you can say we're just going to remove the religious aspects. Well, I, I don't think you can because it it makes you think a certain way, right? Which there's nothing wrong with that, um, you know. And the, to me, the the beauty of of having a conversation like this, and where where I think it's important, and where most people get sidetracked is they get angry. Right. Is that, is that, and, and it's typical, and I won't even say it's typically more on the religious side. I know plenty of pe- pro choice people that are vile bastards when it comes to getting into a conversation like this. They start getting angry and pounding their fists and they take it personal and, and what have you. I think it's important not to do that. I respect the fact that you feel and think the way that you do. All I ask is, is that same courtesy in return is that you respect the way that I think about it and not. Um, you know, say that, that I'm, you know, doomed to hell or, or whatever, even if that's what you think. Uh, I just think that that's the wrong way uh, to approach it and the wrong way to feel about it. But anyway, back to my point hmm. is that that's just how I view it is that, you know, in, until the, the, the individual in this case can sustain life on its own for more than a split second, you know, or just being outside of the womb would, would terminate that, uh, that fetus's life on its own to me, then, then it's not viable at that point or still at that point. That's just how I view it. So I would tell you that I, I certainly agree with the statement you just said, but probably for a different reason. When you say you can't remove uh, the religious ideas and all that, it's kind of ingrained. I, I know the point that you were making to where it's, you can't make an argument without that as your worldview, but I would argue that the reason why that is something that we can't remove from the table is because without a Judeo-Christian framework of morality, there there is literally no reason why we shouldn't be able to murder. Because you can't make it to where it's like, well, we shouldn't destroy other monkeys because those monkeys are a part of our entity. And if we can't propagate the species without those other monkeys, it doesn't really work that way. And so I agree with your point of view with a slightly different hue on it. But also I would say, I think everything kind of boils down to this. Like if someone had to boil down kind of the pro-life position, whether they're coming at it, because there are pro-life atheists, believe it or not, that's actually a category of person. But it boils down to abortion intentionally and directly destroys an innocent human life. And as a guy that has, you know, spent his entire career basically trying to protect innocent human life, that's kind of where I think that there might be some areas of, of extra consideration. And from, from my saying and from your saying, it's always wrong to intentionally and directly destroy an innocent human life. But for you and I, you and I are going to have to sit down over some good scotch and maybe some beef ribs to, to have this discussion further. But I don't want to give short shrift to any of the other subjects in the book because I know we're running short on time. But that's something that I... Yeah, yeah, Can go, I go ahead. Last word in real quick. Yeah, go for uh, it. Go for on it. The, on the, the murder thing, I, I get it. Where it's tricky is that again, is that everybody's per- perception or perspective or their their 
their take on what's innocent, what's murder, what's justified, what's not varies vastly in some cases, person to person. Uh, you know, we, we kill people all the time, um, you know, on behalf of the U.S. military, on behalf of, uh, of, of law enforcement, on behalf of science, uh, you know, doctors, uh, et cetera. Maybe, maybe they make the wrong call. Maybe they don't give a shit because this guy's a tweaker. And I mean, I, I can tell you from experience and, and I know, uh, you know, that, that while it's not a popular opinion, like that is the case is that there are first responders that, that are going to give a better level of care to somebody that they think is a better person than somebody that just tried to stab them, uh, you know, and maybe, maybe is, is flatlining and they're like, man, you know what? I'm, I'm due for lunch. Um, yeah, I'll let somebody else handle this. Like that stuff happens, you know? Yeah. Um, and so to me that that's where it's, it's really, really difficult to have these like black and white, uh, consistencies, um, when, when they just don't exist, um, you know, and, and so to me, I just feel it's a little disingenuous to say, like, if you allow abortion, then you're just okay with murder. Like to me, that's something that the left is very guilty of, of right. saying, Oh, like you don't want to get the vaccine. So you want to kill old people. Like to, to me, that's that same kind of thing. It's just like, that, that's a fucking cheap shot. Um, you know, and it's one that, that, you know, frankly is, is rooted in, in emotion and, and not in an actual, any basis of, of, uh, of fact, because, uh, you know, again, there, there are a lot of instances where, where we absolutely condone taking other people's lives and whether or not that person is innocent or not is absolutely debatable, you know? So, uh, anyway, I, I just wanted to bring that up. Well, this is my, yeah, Mike, this is my show. So I get the last word, dang it. Okay. You don't get to tell me what to do, but no, no, but like to your point though, like you're making the right point. So when people are like, oh, so you're anti-abortion. So are you also anti the death penalty? And I'm like, are you really comparing? So like in the state of Oklahoma, there was a lot of hubbub about this guy that was executed last week. This guy put a, a, a grocery store clerk or a convenience store clerk on his knees, blew him away and took him for $2 and 50 cents. Yeah. Right. And so I'm like, no, 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 I'm not comparing what's growing in my wife's stomach right now to that guy, please. That's a ridiculous argument. But Mike, the, the thing about the, the last half of your book is I love the fact that obviously, you know, coming, since I know you, I know that this isn't like anything that would be unique, uh, but you just go into all these different crazy subjects, right? You talk about the border, you talk about guns, you talk about human trafficking, you talk about all kinds of social issues. You, you go into everything and you don't really leave any stone unturned. Now you're not giving a magnum opus on each one of those individual things. You're, you're going further into it, but there's one quick section as we wrap up here that I wanted to get your, your impact on or your input on rather, because, you know, I, I really, really enjoyed this section of the book, but it's chapter eight and it's called America's inequalities. Okay. So I'll read a quote from this chapter and I want to get your thoughts on it. As we talked about in the second chapter, the road to hell is paved with good intentions and the quest for creating equal opportunity for every citizen is beginning to morph into a crusade for creating equal outcomes. This is a subtle yet dangerous shift. Now, I think most people would agree with you, Mike, that it's a subtle shift, right? On both sides of the issue where people are going to disagree is whether or not it's a dangerous shift. Now, I happen to agree with you completely that the shift from, you know, equality of opportunity to equality of outcome is incredibly dangerous. But for you, why is that so dangerous for our country to make that mental shift? Well, because I think that's the uh, the springboard into socialism or even communism um, it is that that is the benchmark principle with which those um, ideologies exist and, and thrive is that. Uh, but, but there is one kind of important caveat to that is that it's the equality of outcomes for the masses, right? It's not the equality of outcome for everybody. 
It's the equality of outcome for most people, because there is always a group that is in charge where none of that shit applies. And you're seeing that right now with COVID restrictions, with taxes, with, uh, you know, insider trading that a lot of Congress uh, folks get. Uh, you know, if you look at the top 10 uh, stocks that Congress as individuals are invested in, uh, you don't have to, to scratch your head very long to think, well, huh, why is that when it's, you know, Pfizer and ExxonMobil and, uh, you know, Johnson and Johnson and, and, you know, half of the top 10 companies all have something to do with either COVID testing or vaccines or whatever. And it's being pushed at a huge level. Um, you know, so to me, when, when, when the, the playing field is, is meant to be, uh, skewed in a way where it's a tie game at the end, that that's never beneficial for anybody, you know, and, and, and that's what's happening. And, and to not recognize a, that that's happening or B again, just with that, that, you know, leap into, into socialism where that that's incredibly dangerous. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it's important for people to, to understand that. Now I do want to bring up on the topic of say socialism in particular, not communism is that, uh, I mentioned Norway earlier is that there are socialist aspects uh, to the Scandin- Scandinavian countries as it relates to education and healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, what I what I want to uh, push back on, and anybody who would say, "Well, they're socialist countries," they aren't. Um, and I would I would even say that there are elements of our society right now that are actually quite a bit more socialist uh, than than even some socialist countries. Um, you know, so. It is important to understand socialism from a, a broad spectrum standpoint is that, um, you know, where, where the, the equality of out or, uh, you know, the, the term equity gets thrown around now a, a lot more than it used to. And, and it's being misused. But that, uh, you know, equal outcome uh, state of mind, uh, you know, is one where you will see it in, in the society in that um, the, the, the principle of, of competitive nature or. Uh, from a capitalistic standpoint, where people are actually striving to do better, uh, goes away. You know, is, is that as soon as you have that as as you know the principle of your society, where we're, you know we're going to spread the wealth and move it around and make sure that everybody has the same shit. Uh, that that's when you see nobody giving a shit anymore about what they do or how good of a job or or what have you. You see it in in VA hospitals, unfortunately, because that's basically what what it is. I mean, that is socialized medicine for veterans, uh, and it sucks. You know, and I, I've got Canadian friends and clients. I've got, you know, a lot of contacts in Europe for sourcing dogs. Um, you know, and while there are some benefits to, we'll just take medic, um, you know, uh, medical care as one example of, of many, is that, yes, um, you know, your taxes and everything get, get to where things are paid for, but the level of care is, is terrible by comparison. Uh, the wait times uh, for most things that are emergent are terrible. Uh, a lot of people, you know, end up dying or having things go on for so long to where it turns into a big problem when it wasn't. Uh, and so I, I think it, it's an important distinction to make. The last point I'll bring up is socialized aspects of society versus a socialized society. And, and to me, it's one thing to have socialized X or Y or Z. But when you have a country that is based off of socialism, uh, you know, that is when the country is based off. Uh, equality of outcome across the board for the masses. And and that is a dangerous, dangerous thing. 
Hey, yeah, the, the subtlety is slowly leaving, right? The, that conversation, I think the Biden administration has really removed a lot of that subtle, subtlety, but the danger is yeah. there and it's it's ever present. I know we're running up against time. So kind of the last question here for you is how do you want people to use this book that you just written, right? It'll be in the show notes, guys. You can take it down. Again, we didn't get into you know a 20th, 120th of what you talk about in the yeah. book, but what, how do you want us to use this book? Yeah. I do. I do have an extra ten minutes, uh, you know, if, if that helps. But uh, it does help because I have other questions. So go yeah. for it. Uh, how I want people to use this book essentially is just as something that opens their eyes uh, to a what the real problems in this country are, and b how to actually look at them to where you you can uh, evaluate them without being uh, as biased as possible. Uh, it, it's inherent for human beings to have some level of bias, no matter what they're looking at or talking about. Uh, based on you know their their experiences and and uh, you know the, the way that they've been brought up and, and a lot of other things, but um, but being at least conscious enough that you have bias and and trying to uh, you know to figure out how to remove it uh, to the best of your ability before you look at all of these things and then make a decision on how you want to try to tackle it, I think is is the key to to being successful in, in solving uh, the country's problems. And so when you say solving the country's problems. Again, most of us, the, the, the moment you said that there were probably two people that came to mind, Biden or Trump, right? Yeah. Solving the country's problems. But obviously I'm the type of person that it's like who the president is shouldn't really matter that much. It yeah. shouldn't really matter to, to your day-to-day -day living because yeah. you make decisions for yourself. Like what Trump says on Twitter or what Biden does, you know, whenever he's, I don't know, walking through Europe, you know, trying to convince everybody that we should all drive around in electric cars. That doesn't affect how you talk to your wife, right? Yeah. That, that doesn't affect how you, how you deal with those certain situations. So do we all just have a skewed perspective? Have we just, you know, are we worshiping at the altar of the federal government and its ability to make our lives easier at this point? Yeah. I mean, the, the chapter Jay-Z isn't Jesus, mm -hmm. uh, you know, is, is essentially the, um, the, the root kind of principle of that is, and, and, you know, not just in pop culture, which, you know, I think that kind of speaks for itself, but especially so on the political spectrum is that now with, with social media, and I do want to uh, mention one of my ideas that I, I've come to the conclusion uh, after hearing a lot of the um, Senate hearings on, uh, on some of the Facebook stuff and whatever. So it's not in the book. I wish I had put it in there. It's just something that I, it kind of came to me after uh, watching a lot of that stuff. But if you look at politics, right? They're supposed to be elected representatives. And I, and I talk about, I don't have time to explain mm -hmm. how I think we, sh we should elect people instead of, of them running for offices that they get called to it basically the same way a grand jury works. But, um, but, but, you know, with Twitter specifically, um, you know, you've got these uh, politicians that turn into, you know, popularity contest or, or public figures that uh, care more about a, a, a snarky or, or witty or snappy meme, uh, you know, that gets, you know, 10 million retweets or, or whatever. And it turns into, you know, these public officials that are now revered, right? Where, where it should be the other way around is that you, you should know you, you work for me, right? And, and you should be fucking scared of us voting your dumb ass out of office, but not the other way around. Like you don't tell us how the cow eats the cabbage. We tell you how the fuck to vote. You know, and, and, and we've got we've gotten so far away from that because now all of these you know different personalities, and this is on both sides of the aisle, uh, have become so popular in, in social media that, that, that they let that get to their head uh, and, and it influences 
their policy. It influences the, the way that they interact with people. It influences their self-interest. Uh, it, it even further, I think, pollutes their desire to get reelected. Not that it wasn't terrible to begin with, uh, you know, in the in the grand scheme of most people when they get uh, elected about six months into office, they're now worried about their reelection campaign and that's right. what they're focused on. And that's a huge problem, you know. So um, to your, your point, yes, we've gotten so far off the beaten path in terms of idolizing people that, that shouldn't be idolized. Nobody should be. You know, to me, and, and I talk about this at length too, like if you're not willing to hold yourself and your own side, your own guy, party, whatever you want to call it, to the same standard that you're willing to hold the other side to, it's never going to work, mm -hmm. right? Both sides have to be equally critical of themselves as they are the other side. Uh, that doesn't happen, uh, you know, so that's a huge problem. Now, on the social media thing, one thing I wanted to bring up, I do truly believe social media is one of the biggest problems in, in this country uh, for a lot of reasons. The two that I'll, I'll highlight right now are just the way that people interact is that there's not a uh, an understanding that um, that there's any consequence for behaving however you want. There's mm -hmm. there's zero consequence, right? And so for adults, that's poisonous because now people turn into total assholes, right? They just they they run their mouth with no fear of getting punched in it. Uh, they run their mouth with no fear of, of of any legal recourse because they're completely anonymous, you know, trolls with VPNs and whatever else. Uh, so that there's that. That's uh, I think pretty obvious why that's toxic to our our society because that now people start to treat each other that way, uh, even in real life. On the child side, is that now they're they're being brought up with these types of um, unrealistic expectations, both from a body standpoint, from a behavior standpoint, a lack of social cues. Uh, you know, I've met a lot of, you know, you know, kids, my kids, friends, or people in, in the age group of, you know, in their teens, uh, coming into the workforce and hiring people for certain things and what have you. And one of the bigger, th bigger things that I've noticed is a lot of kids nowadays don't really know how to interact with people because they don't do it very much. Mm -hmm. they're, they're very socially awkward and inept and, and can't read body cues when they're, when they're saying weird shit or being, you know, awkward or uncomfortable or, or whatever. They just don't get it, um, you know, because they're so used to texting and Snapchatting and then whatever else. Uh, and then the, you know, there's a, a treasure trove of studies on the, negative impacts that it has in terms of dopamine and serotonin and getting likes and messages and, and things like that. And, and how ultimately how it leads to depression and suicide rates are through the roof or the highest they've ever been in those age ranges. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's all tied to that stuff. And so my take very simply is, is to take a uh, passport or driver's license uh, type of requirements for that. You've got to be at least 16, right? And, and now there, you can, you can set up a government bureau. Now, while I am not a fan of having the government involved in any other aspects of our life. This is one that I would say I'm okay with the same way. I think driver's license and passports make sense in that once you turn 16, you submit the same type of paperwork that proves that you are who you say you are. And, and you are basically issued just like a driver's license number, a social media um, profile license slash number. Right. It's got your picture on it. That's that's a government taken picture. You don't get to fucking choose it, you know, and, and go through 90 filters and make it look like, you know, you know, somebody who, who's not even you uh, match dot com profile, as an example, or, or grinder in our case. Um, but, uh, 
you know, so so here here you're issued your government issued uh, social media profile. So now that you're 16, you don't get to have one until you're 16. Now, once you're you're at that point, if you go on Facebook, you go on Instagram, you go on Twitter, whatever. Now it takes all of the censorship bullshit off of their plate. Now everything is completely wide open. They don't have to. They don't get to or have to be responsible for picking and choosing of shutting this person down or doing this or that. Is that whoever makes the comment? Every fucking person knows exactly who you are. You can't hide from anybody, right? And so you are solely responsible for everything you say and do on social media. I think that that is a huge, big first step in solving a lot of the problems is it keeps kids off of all of that shit until they're at least 16. And then they've got that couple of year buffer where their parents, they're still living at home uh, and, and, can, and the parents can kind of help navigate the same way you do driving. Uh, is that your parents kind of help you navigate being on social media for a couple of years before you get to do it alone. Because I think if you wait until you're 18, it's like the Amish kid going to Manhattan, uh, you know, at 18 and losing their fucking mind. Uh, 16 is, you know, if we trust them to drive a vehicle, probably shouldn't, should be able to trust them to be on a smartphone, but I don't think they should be on them before then. So, uh, I just wanted to bring that up. I wish I had put that in my book. I just hadn't thought of it, uh, you know, again, until, seeing all of these uh, negative reports on uh, on some of the, the really dramatically terrible impacts that uh, social media has uh, has on our kids and being a father of of a few of them uh, you know that that really struck home and, and I wanted to bring that up well hey that just means you're gonna have to write a second part to it right you're just gonna have to do a part two of this book but because because I'm with you there's also the consequences of you say something on Twitter or you say something on Facebook that you would never say to someone's face. I'm not certainly not the first person to point that out. I think even Mike Tyson was talking about that. It's like, it's amazing what people say whenever the threat of being punched in the face is not there. And so obviously there's a big part of that in our current society, but thank you so much for going into all the detail on the new book and for, you know, kind of going through all these conversations, guys, there's an example of how you can have a cordial conversation about some pretty highfalutin topics and not want to kill the other person. But man, that is all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? No, I just, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, I, like I said, I love the pushback. I, I love that, that we can have that kind of conversation and, and not agree on things without, uh, you know, motherfucking each other. And, uh, and you know, I, I think that's the only way that you really solve any, any problems. And, and, you know, the other thing too, I think broad spectrum for all of this stuff is realizes that sometimes that's going to happen. You know, sometimes, you know, no matter how right you think you are or how many facts you have to back up, whatever, there's, there's people that are just going to be like, I still just disagree with it, you know, uh, and, and that's okay too. You know, it, that needs to be okay for us to have a, a legitimate free society where, where the first amendment is, is actually, uh, you know, in play and, and, uh, and used the way that it's supposed to be. Uh, cause a lot of times it's not. So, uh, I just, I appreciate you having the dialogue with me. You got to have a space to say your piece and then just let the chips fall where they may. Mike Ritland, thank you for coming on, on daunted life of man's podcast. Amen. Thank you. There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Mike Ritland. Another interview with Mike Ritland. That's number three now. And guys, we didn't get into even half the stuff that I wanted to talk about on this one, which just means we're probably going to have to do a part four at some point. So guys, I really, really appreciate you listening in. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness. And specifically, we do that by providing you content like this podcast. It helps you forge spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So here are the links from today. I've got a link to Mike's website, so you can go check out all his stuff there, including his shop. I've got a link to his book 
books. So if you want to just go straight to Amazon, you can go and check out his books there. And one quick thing on Mike's website, if you go to his shop on there, you can buy bundles that involve his new books. So he's signed copies and different things like that. But if you don't want to buy it there, you just want to buy it from Amazon. I've got a link to that as well. And then also a link to Mike's YouTube channel. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. We do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok and like us on Facebook. And you can also check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we're going to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The intro outro track on this podcast is our song on Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album, Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. <laughs>